Hello and welcome to episode 2 of Blowing Cartridges, the video game podcast where we dive into the issues surrounding gaming culture and the games themselves. I'm Brendan Tan, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host Zach Clark. And today we're going to discuss why we game and why we have a video game podcast, because I think ultimately, we well, we wouldn't have this podcast if we didn't game, so I think we, we really need to dive into the idea of well, what is gaming to us and when did we first start gaming and why, well into our 20s, are we still gaming today? Yeah, g'day guys and thanks for the intro, Brendan. And yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head as to what uh, what we're going to be touching on today is sort of, yeah, what is gaming? Why does it matter to us? And first off, before we get into the actual discussion, we've, you know, at the time of recording just launched our, our first episode. So I just want to say thank you to all the fans for a uh, positive response and your feedback. It's very much appreciated and hopefully you're still listening uh, and continue to provide the feedback. Uh, and also hopefully you noticed this week we, <laughs> we've upgraded our tech a bit. So by that, I mean, we've got foam uh, and we've covered our microphones at foam. So, so now I can <laughs> say like popping and uh, podcast and blowing and hopefully it doesn't sound as painful as it did in the past. So um, that's a plus. Uh, <laughs> Yes, and our, our mics will be nice and warm for the cold Victorian winters, so there's a plus to that as well. Yeah, no, they're not freezing freezing their butts off like we are, um, so it's a, it's a win-win all around for everyone. But yeah, video games, why do we play them? I mean, I think we've touched on this a bit, but we both sort of began gaming what would have been in the late, I would say, 90s when we were both both kids. That, that sounds about right, Brendan. You would have been, what, like five or six or something? I would have been similar. Yeah, about three or four or five when I was watching my brother play Nintendo 64, PC gaming, all that. So very, very early childhood memories I have of video games in general. Yeah, I think I I would have started, I think um, I would have been five or something when I got my Nintendo 64. Yeah, that that was definitely the thing that sparked the obsession. Uh, And I think that really hits the first... I won't say a requirement, but a big thing that helps someone be a gamer or be interested in games is that sort of early exposure at childhood. I think uh, I think there's a lot of psychology around it, but things you get exposed to as a kid tend to have pretty like strong sort of impacts on you as a person when you're sort of in that really young development age. And I think, not to say it's impossible to get into gaming at a later age, there's plenty of people that, that do uh, and really enjoy it and become as passionate about it, but I think that definitely tips the scale in favor of um of sort of making it a lifelong you know sort of hobby or interest i don't know if you'd agree but i'd say that's <laughs> i think you're right because i can remember going back to the shadowy shadowy days of primary school which i barely remember these days but i i do remember that there was always that i guess separation between you had the kids that played video games and did that and you could very much easily talk about pokemon or mario but you'd also have all the other kids that weren't into video games, were maybe into Lego or card games or other sorts of forms of childhood entertainment. So I think it, it very much does, there is very much that formative experience that you have with gaming that can, I guess, very much define your experience with gaming. Because if we're to go, if we were to go on forums or Twitter or the like and ask people, oh, when were you first exposed to gaming? I think most of them, and especially most of our friends would have memories of when they were five, six, seven years old getting that first console for a birthday or Christmas and really ripping into it, inviting friends over to play. And it really creates that, 
I guess, both family and friends' social experience that is quite formative. Yeah, 100%. And I remember even as a kid, I always struggled to understand, uh, and even to an extent today, like what people did in their spare time when they, you were young. Like you get home from school, um, you know, outside of like maybe play play some sport or something. Like I just didn't know, like what did you do if <laughs> you weren't playing games? Or like when friends <laughs> came over, I don't even understand. Like, you know, like just because every one of my friends, if we went to each other's houses, it was either... Yeah, pulling out the 64 and playing some, you know, Mario Kart or Smash Brothers or Mario Party, or um, more often as well, given the the time, uh, having our Game Boys out and Link Cable and <laughs> trading some Pokemon or or doing some battles on that front. So the I, you know, other than that, it's I just can't picture it. Um, you know, like occasionally <laughs> maybe Yu-Gi-Oh or something, we get into a card game or Beyblades were were big, but. They never had the same lasting power as just as video games as a, as a pretty constant through, I'd say at least to my teenage years. Probably even if I'm being frank, even today, if friends come over, games are a, a pretty much safe bet that we're going to play them. Um, albeit these days, more board games than we probably used to as as kids, which is um, which is odd in some ways, but it is what it is. Yeah, it, it's very much that I guess dependable fallback. Oh, we'll play, we'll play a round of Mario Kart or Smash Brothers, and there's even those games that I think even non-gamers can get around, like a round of Mario Kart or the like. That they might not own a gaming console themselves, but through friends they've been exposed to them. So it's interesting how there's those. I guess there's a multi-layer sort of gate network that you might be a full-on oh, I play games every day of my life sort of person or I only play at friends or somewhere in the middle there's there's all different layers to how much you game but speaking of childhood I think uh what's what's an interesting dynamic to think about is there tends to be a, a point where there is a little bit of a divergence right where you start to see some kids or people grow out of of gaming as their thing that they're really into and then go on other sort of you know interests uh and those of us that almost double down on it which i think we'd fall into that category pretty comfortably definitely yeah 100 percent. i think for our age group i mean the real defining franchise of that in my mind and in a sense is almost pokemon um i remember you know like pokemon red and blue obviously massive amongst most kids my age definitely most um most boys in my school at least. Gold and Silver also extremely massive, uh, so the second games. But then that third generation, uh, when you swap to the Game Boy Advance and, uh, you know, Ruby and Sapphire came out and in, on the TV, Ash was, you know, ditching Misty and then Brock for, for new friends and all that kind of stuff. That kind of was an interesting cutoff point where a, a pretty big swath of people I know just dropped it and leaving only a, what felt like a, a minority of us left still into it and it was uh definitely i don't know about you but sort of became a bit of a i won't say a shame but something that you like you would you wouldn't be super open about it with everyone that, that you were still playing pokemon if that makes uh full sense out of fear of you know some bullying or that kind of stuff i don't know if you had a similar experience but that's that was certainly mine I went to quite a small primary school, and I guess since I'm a bit younger than you, Zach, I, well, when Ruby Sapphire came out, I would have been about eight, I think. It was 2003, yeah, so I would have been about eight. So it was very much the case that in the primary school class I was in, I think there was about eight, nine people, ten at most in the, in the grade. So it was quite small in the, in the country. So 
so myself and my friends and a few other people were known as, oh, we, we had GBASPs, we played Pokemon, we played those games. I guess it was a bit more normalized in such a smaller setting. So I didn't necessarily have that experience, actually. I was more, I guess for me, it was more, you were either a gamer and that was cool, or you might have did other things and that was all right as well. And it sort of separated along those lines, but it was never really that much of a stigma. Maybe, yeah, I guess I've never really experienced that stigma to it because then going into high school when I got a bit older, there was people that I guess played your Call of Duties. I remember StarCraft Two when that released in 2009, 2008. That was huge across across the year level. Like you had people that you never thought would play a game pick it up. Same with Heart Gold and Soul Silver. I remember talking to someone at school and he was talking about, oh yeah, just picked up Heart Gold and he was the guy that I had no idea played games. So I guess I had a more more of the experience that growing up gaming was that sort of thing that you either did or you didn't and it very much varied from person to person whether you kept it up or not. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think, you know, probably a bit of where my memories lie is a mix of not only was it like people necessarily dropping out of gaming, but more I guess maturing in their gaming taste is maybe what they'd like to think about it, you know, the classic uh probably not back then, but these days you'd probably equate it to the uh to a ten or eleven year old who's like, I'm too big for Minecraft. I'm I'm gonna play Call of Duty and Grand Theft Auto and <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um so still gaming, just uh trying to make a jump from the the quote unquote kitty stuff, whereas Screw Pikachu, I'm gonna go shoot some hookers. Let's go. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> um and they think they're a ch adults for that. Whereas you're right, the and then you sort of saw that flip back when we all sort of hit maybe like 15, 16, where people was like, I don't care anymore what people think I'm going to play. Yeah, Hard Gold and Soul Silver, like Pokemon was a big one of a bit of a resurgence amongst um, my school group as well, where heaps of people that had not, yeah, bought a DS, bought a DS just for that <laughs> and got into it. So, but also there was, there are definitely, like, I have some really close friends who, again, as kids, you know, we played games all the time and now that they're adults just just have completely fallen off off the wagon uh it just doesn't doesn't interest them anymore which i find really fascinating uh i think about like what 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 happened like not to say it's a bad thing it's just more why did i sort of stick to a very much the same interest and and set of even games that i'm interested in since basically childhood versus other people who bounced around or dropped off and came back on um, and, it, and it's a tough one to really pinpoint, I reckon. I mean, I think we could probably spend like do a full thesis on it if we really want to do trying to find <laughs> some sample sizes and, and write a, write a paper for a university. There might already be one out there, but I think for me, at least personally, a, a big element was, uh, I just was captivated by the, like these worlds that, you know, you're exposed to, uh, in games and, um, not to say, I mean, I, to be honest, I had a very good life and a happy childhood, so it's not like I had much I wanted to escape from, but I definitely, what the, the escapism, or at least the fantasy element of, you know, thinking you're in this world and that kind of stuff was really, um, I think a really a big draw card that I, that I still find myself leaning to today. I mean, I don't know about you, if that's a similar experience you have, or if it's something else that really draws you to them. I guess for me, going back to thinking about, what gaming for me was like growing up and through my childhood until now. I think what really marked it was those experiences when you'd having friends over to play video games. I think for me, it was very much 
I kept on gaming through those years because it was very much of a, a social engagement tool. I remember primary school, I had a group of friends, they would come over at least once a week, generally sometimes more, I'd go over there. So I'd see them multiple times a week after school and we'd always play all Nintendo GameCube at the time, Melee, Double Dash, Kirby's Air Ride, City Trial was a huge draw card for us. We played a lot of that and I guess it just really progressed from... And yes, I did play single-player games in my own time, but really thinking back to it, I can't really remember that many single-player GameCube games. I sat down and sort of played start to finish on my own. It was very much... Gaming was very much a social thing I did with friends. And then when I got a bit older, went to high school, it, I dropped off console gaming. I still I did still play my Wii when friends came over, Melee, Mario Kart Wii, but gaming for me then very much became... PC online gaming. So I played a lot of World of Warcraft, got sucked into that for about three, four years, which by its nature, that, that is a social game. You're playing a massively multiplayer online RPG. You can't do that without, you can't really do that on your own. You're going to, even if you don't know the people you're playing with, which I never knew. You're still playing with them. Yeah, exactly. I, I never knew anyone personally that I played with, but I still met people, still made some quasi online friendships. Never talk to those people anymore, but at the time would talk to them daily. So it was very much that social element to it. And it's really only, really only now, honestly, that I do play a lot of single player games, gaming my own time on my own. And gaming has very much changed for me into something that used to be nearly inherently entirely social to something I can use for a different purpose, which I think for me, I like, I like to game. I like to switch off my mind for a bit couple of hours just pull out a game and sort of not necessarily for escapism purposes but just to I guess tune out of the world and to just have some downtime I find that quite relaxing yeah I think there's also a bit of the element of like uh I think about this at least but there's a bit of a dopamine hit of like achieving something uh which gaming can kind of tick off that bucket right like you know you get that achievement or that trophy or you know you beat a level or whatever it might be and that can sometimes be a real big sort of mood lifter, um, particularly say you've had a hard day at work where you feel like you just sort of spun the wheels and <laughs> not moved anywhere. To be able to sort of sit down and knock out a few levels of Mario or whatever is is pretty um, pretty satisfying, or at least I find it pretty satisfying. Well, exactly. And for a single-player linear game, you can finish it and you can then put it aside and say, well, I'm done with that now. That that was an achievement. I can I can say I've finished Super Mario Sunshine, or I can say I've finished The Last of Us Part 2. Like, that's done. I've, I've done it. Yeah, tick it off. Um, even if, if others may think it's not. <laughs> it definitely feels like one. Yeah, no, it's... That's that's definitely how I feel about games in, in the modern day or as an adult. It's, it's definitely like, yeah, it's, it's a great chill-out, you know, experience and a great sort of way to sort of pick up the spirits. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't know about you, but again, I, I definitely feel like you need the motivation like it is easy to or at least easy for me these days to sort of veg out and say I just don't have the mental energy after a day at work to always pick up a game and then do something <laughs> like oh, I might navigate towards Netflix or uh something a bit more even even less uh exerting than, than video games which which may be a weird comment to say to those who don't play it but even sometimes and also that changes what types of games I want to play like sometimes I can can muster up the energy for like Animal Crossing, which is pretty chill. Um, but could I muster up the energy for Final Fantasy VII Remake 
maybe not today. Uh, maybe that's more of like a Saturday game when I've you know had a sleep in and I can put a bit more energy into it. I don't know if you have sort of a similar sort of <laughs> you know dichotomy with what you do and don't play. Well, I think I do, and I honestly think that's one of the reasons why people do do fall off gaming through their lives. That perhaps when they're growing up, it's much more of a social thing they do with friends. But when that tapers off, when they find different things to do with their spare time, different things to do with their friends, that they very much put it away and say, well, gaming was fun whilst I was sort of 10, 12, 13 years old, but now I do different things with my spare time. They don't necessarily have that transition that you and I did where we figured out, well, there's different types of gamings. You can play different genres. You can play online games. You can play something a bit more chilled, like a puzzle game or something more frenetic and hardcore, like a online shooter, like your Call of Duties or Fortnites or Overwatches. And I think definitely I agree with you. Sometimes I'll feel like, oh, I really want to have a bit of a social interaction. I'll see if friends are on. I'll jump on, play some League of Legends or play a multiplayer game with them or oh no, I just want to sort of tune out and do something that's engrossing. I'll chuck on a RPG, a JRPG. I'll play that for five hours or, oh no, I want something a bit more relaxed. I'll do an arcade game. So it's it's very much mood-based. And I also think, but I, I guess personally, I always find a bit of a struggle between that sort of gaming and the other sort of gaming of, well, I have all these games. I, I know you have a similar issue to me, not not as pronounced, I don't think, but I buy a ridiculous amount of games every year. Honestly, I, I really need to stop doing it, but I keep on doing it. <laughs> the backlog the backlog is never-ending. I'm going to wake up one day and just going to be drowned in games, I think. So I very much have that, I guess, struggle and that tension between, well, do I play a game I feel like playing, or I started this game last week. Do I need to keep on playing it? Do I need to finish it, tick it off, and never think of it again? So I, I do find that a struggle. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Like I um I recently had the experience of uh going back to my parents' place and sort of packing up my collection there to put in sort of a, a storage in the attic until I eventually moved to a place that's big enough to house it. Um and that really <laughs> highlighted uh the problem I have. And even now I look at my shelves in my living room, I'm like, I need to reorganize them. I'm running out of space. Uh I probably need to put the amiibo in a box so I can fit the game cases in. It's not good. Um but yeah, I, I I think I don't know about you. I, I've sort of given up on the concept of ever really catching up on my backlog. It's just something that I I just don't think is doable anymore. Uh, <laughs> uh, in a in a world where I have more sense than time, than sense being with a T C and T is rather than sense like logical thing because the smart thing would be stop buying so many games. <laughs> like it's so easy just to pick up. Uh, I've you know this game reviewed pretty well I'll give it a crack like I remember I picked up Bloodborne I'm like oh yeah everyone's saying it's great maybe this is the game that gets me into into Souls likes and yeah I just could not could not get into it um so I probably played it for like three or four hours and it just completely dropped it and um well I'm sure if I persisted maybe I would find that same enjoyment that everyone else has I've just resigned myself to I've spent 60 bucks or whatever it was on a game that i barely touched and uh, still sits there on my shelf to this day uh i very much agree with where you're coming from i think i've in the last year or two i've very much shifted away from buying a game that i think i might find interesting or one that someone told me oh yeah this is worth looking at instead of 
I now buy games that I know, oh, this is the sort of genre I like. I like other games in this series or I've seen videos of this and I really want to try it. I think I've become a lot more selective with what games I buy with the with the hope of, well, maybe if I do it this way, I'll slowly chip away at the backlog, which probably isn't going to happen since I buy a ton of JRPGs and RPGs. And having recently finished Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, that took me about 80 hours. I, I, I can't do that for about <laughs> the 20 JRPGs I have. I, I'd have to quit my job, just live in my bedroom and never, never reemerge for about a year. And I think I'd finish all the games I have, but unfortunately that's not realistic. I mean, you could be a Twitch streamer and just, you know, that could be a, a year long exercise, <laughs> take a, a break from the career and try that, see if it works. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm very much the same. I mean, I think I find these days the games I finish either have two things in common. They're either fairly, relatively low resistance in terms of like they're not too difficult to get through um, and don't require too much mastery or, uh, and also a, a lot of fun. That's obviously a key element in any case. Um, or they're quite short where like you can sort of mentally justify like, getting through even if it's and when i say short i mean say 20 hours less which i think is all is fairly approachable at least in my mind that seems to be the cutoff when you start to creep above 20 i'm like Definitely. that's that's a serious time commitment unless i'm loving every second of it uh i i start to think i might put it back on the shelf and go back to something i was actually really enjoying um and i just you know due to life had stopped playing um like i I've got a real, like, I think about it now, I've probably got, like, three or four games that I'm probably 75% of the way through, and I just need to, I should just go and sit down and finish them off, but I just keep putting it off. Like, I, I have Shadow of Col the Colossus, which I think I'm up to the second last Colossi, uh, and I just, and I loved every minute that I've played so far, but I don't know why I stopped, but I really, you know, want to get back to it, but I keep finding myself being like, oh, you know, like, Final Fantasy VII comes out, I'll play that, or Xenoblade comes out, I'll give that a crack, or... Um, you know, Paper Mario is coming out this week at the time of recording. I'll probably end up picking that up and give that a shot <laughs> as well. And so I find if I don't finish it in that sort of like first time of playing it, I rarely get back to it, which is a shame and something I need to sort of get better at, you know, doing, I suppose, if, if I was enjoying it, because, you know, why not when you've already spent the money as well? You never get back to it in my experience. I know for me... The Witcher 1 was that game for me. I started playing that, I think, in 2013, 2012. Got to about three quarters of the way through it. Went off to do something else. Probably was doing VC at the time. Started uni. Had other things on my plate. I didn't end up finishing that game until last year in 2019. About six years afterwards, I picked out the old save file. Still had it on the... I kept on saving the um, save file onto my backup hard drives because I knew it was there. I knew... One day I'll go back and finish it. So I eventually did, sat down last year, did it, had about another, I think, five to ten hours on it, did that, really enjoyed it. But I found it very hard to try to get back into that because, well, hadn't touched it for six years, didn't really know what was going on, but got through it and found it really enjoyable. But then there's plenty of other games I can think of that you you might get to the very end of it, can't finish the final boss fight. There's a few for me that that's happened to and I get so frustrated trying to do that that you just give up and never go back to it, even though you've enjoyed the game for 20, 30 hours. It's, I find it's very hard to start a game, move on to another game, and go back to that game, the first game, because you very rarely actually do that. 
I remember as a kid, uh, I had that. I think that problem really hits with the JRPGs or RPGs the most because I had that with Paper Mario, the Thousand Year Door, where I got to the final boss fight and I was just so. I must have been underleveled or whatever uh, and just could not do it right. And then, like, it became this thing where every few months I'd, like, go back and be like, all right, I'm reinvigorated. Let's go grind. I'm enjoying being back in this game. And then, like, go back and take another crack at it and fail and fail. And it took probably like a good two years from when I got to the boss fight, pretty much, you know, easy through the whole game to when I actually finished it. And that was great. But I just find <laughs> as an adult, I just don't have that level of um, discipline or maybe time, uh, one or the other, probably both, to, to, to do that sort of exercise again. Yeah, but no joke. I had that exact same experience with that game, Paper Mario Thousand Year Door. My sister and I sort of played that together we got to the end boss, couldn't finish that, oh, the Shadow Queen or what, whatever she's called. I think it is the Shadow Queen. of Yeah, that's, that's probably right. Yeah. Something along those lines. We couldn't do it. We tried for weeks to do it. We, we just couldn't figure it out. So what we did was we started another save file, went through the entire game again, got to that point, had the exact same issue, couldn't finish the final boss. So in the end, we just, we just gave up and we never... Never finish that game. Never finish that final boss. I think I think it's to do with the badge system. You need to optimize your badges or or something. I've I've read about in in the last few years. But I I love that game. One of my favorite games of my childhood. But never finished it because of that that reason. It's just even when you're a child and you have so much time, spare time after school weekends, you you sometimes lose motivation. And it's doubly so now. I think now we're older. Now we're adults. Yeah, like I think. And that's, to me, at least, say, why I get so fearful of, like, again, JRPGs, particularly older ones. Newer ones are a bit better, but there's so many times where maybe someone has done the math and the development just slightly wrong and the difficulty spike is just, like, <laughs> too high. <laughs> and I think, I mean, that Paper Mario experience, the fact that we both had it, um, I think Game Grumps, which is a YouTube series, had the exact same problem when they did their playthrough. And I'm sure if I watched a bunch of others, it would show that it's a pretty consistent theme of you get to that final boss and it's too hard always makes me so fearful whenever i jump into a jrpg and i I lose to a boss i'm like is this the one is this the one that kills this game for me like i had one on persona 4 golden where i I was the first boss i lost to and i was so scared that this is be like the thing that (laughs) that i can't surmount and luckily like three or four tries i got through it but like that's like such a fear to me when it comes to those sorts of difficulty spikes, what's your opinion on using, I guess, online walkthroughs or back-in-the-day strategy guides? Because I guess when I was young, I didn't really... Do, well, the internet was there. I occasionally used it to scroll through things regarding games, but I never really thought, oh, I shall use a guide to finish this game. If I hit a spike, I couldn't um, figure out. If I hit a puzzle, I couldn't figure out in the game. I just dropped it and moved on to another game. I... I guess I was fortunate enough to have quite a few games growing up so I could do that. But now I'm I'm the sort of person that if I if I find if I'm struggling in a game, I'll I have no qualms looking up a walkthrough, figuring out what's going wrong and alleviating that and pushing through. Whereas I know some people very much frown on that and think, oh no, part of that game for me is I want to overcome adversity. I, I don't want outside help. If if I'm not doing it myself, I'm not having an optimal experience. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm probably the opposite. Not the opposite, but like I think for my entire life, either walkthroughs or something of that nature have been something I've been willing to turn to. I think, you know, if I look through my collection, I've got a lot of Prima guides um, from my childhood, uh, and that was pretty common amongst most most of my friends. Plus, uh, I remember a bunch of us were really into the the Nintendo Hotline, which was still a thing when we were kids. <laughs> Our parents have yelled at us a few times for racking up some big phone bills on that, um, where we'd get stuck on like a, you know, standing Nintendo game, really, like even just on the GameCube, like a Sonic Adventure 2 battle. I remember we called up about something, and I think it was just because the game was, you know, a bit of a glitchy mess at times. <laughs> we thought we were doing something wrong. It's like, no, 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 the game's just broken. <laughs> like, you'll, you'll get through it eventually. That's the advice that. we got. Um, but yeah, definitely have never shied away of like, not, not, it's never the first resort. Don't get me wrong, but it is definitely gets to a point where I'm either dropping it or I'm looking it up. Uh, and I'd rather look it up than be like, okay, I can move on or, uh, than just completely drop the game. And sometimes it's like validating to know, like, I know, Sometimes it is just a really dumb, you just miss something, you know what I mean? Uh, and other times it's like, oh, I haven't missed anything. Um, I just, it's just execution. And it's good to get that validation that you're not doing something wrong. You just need to get better at it. Um, so you keep persisting. Whereas if you're like, have I, have I missed something? Was I meant to like see a trigger on this boss fight that I was meant to hit him then? Or is there a trick to this that I've not put together? Um, so I, I think sometimes, again, those the being burnt in the past where by tricks or whatever, you, you sort of lean towards, I'd rather just make sure I'm following the right path. Uh, it's sort of like when you do a practice question on a, on a test and you're like, I think I'm doing this right, but this is a pretty long maths question. Maybe I'll just quickly just check in the answers <laughs> that I've sort of started off the right track and then be like, okay, at least I'm, I'm going the right path before doing the rest of the, the question. Uh, or maybe that's just me. I don't know. Um, maybe I'm an outlier. No, I think you're right. And I think it's a case of accumulative knowledge as well. Going back to your practice test analogy, I think perhaps you might need a bit of help. You might need a guide the first time you do something or the f- first few times. But if you're playing games in a similar genre, you're going to see the same problems slowly pop up. Like for RPGs, for example, sure, games will have different mechanics, but there's always going to be similarities. And once you figure out a few tricks regarding some types of mechanics in some games. You can use that, apply that knowledge and sort of use it so in the future you won't have to consult a guide. You won't have to go online. You'll you'll have the tools to be able to figure it out that you might not have had the first time that you were trying to get through that problem and otherwise you would have given it up in disgust and frustration. Yeah, very much so. You sort of just learn from your past mistakes and you sort of carry it forward, which is... Which is always, um, it's always good. Um, so we've sort of talked about it or referenced it a little bit, but obviously we we don't just play games. We both have other hobbies. I know you're a big uh, Lego enthusiast, Brendan. <laughs> um, for example, future episode there, Zach. Yeah, that's a that's a good idea. Uh, maybe with Lego Mario coming out, or if you make a, a stint on Lego Masters, you could tie it in as a promo. <laughs> um, but. I think it'd be interesting to explore why, what separates gaming maybe as our, as our, if we call it our, our prime hobby or our number one hobby, um, if, at least that's where I'd rank it for me. I don't know if you'd, you'd also, I, I suspect you would, versus other things we, we do, uh, and enjoy. And I think when I try to boil it down, like 
you know, I'm into like, I like reading. Um, I like, you know, watching a lot of sort of movies or animation or that kind of stuff. It's sort of, sort of my other sort of key hobbies, I'd say. But what really separates gaming is it's kind of like a, I mean, we've said it before, it's an art, I think it's an art form, uh, but it's one that creates an experience that I find is sort of unreplicable in other mediums is something that really draws it to me. Like if I think about some of my favorite sort of games uh, and some ones that make good analogies is something like, say, a Pikmin um, or a Mario. And I, I say a Pikmin in particular because that's something where they've done a number of animation shorts for that series. Uh, and they're, while they're good animations, I think what's really interesting as someone who's obviously played the games is you realize the joy or the real elegance and, and uh, sort of amazing aspects of what that game is 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 a lot to do with the fact that it's interactive uh and that's something that can't be carried over to a you know like a movie or or a tv show or anything like that or a book necessarily like when you're playing pikmin which for those who haven't played you're a little space guy who grows an army of these cute little um colorful creatures called pikmin uh, and you lead a horde of them to you know save yourself and then you know defeat monsters and that kind of stuff get those duracell batteries yeah get duracell batteries and um bottle tops from coke bottles and things like that but like the act of like growing those guys going through like dungeons with them so every time one of them dies you really feel it because <laughs> you're like oh like that that pikmin's probably been with me since you know maybe day one or um <laughs> got through this whole dungeon and just died on the last boss uh it's quite sad whereas when you see them die and say the little animations they did for that series it's it's sad but not to the same extent of um of you know your own little guy that you've raised in a, in a sense uh and, and you've put all that effort in uh i think that's such an interesting element that um really helps separate gaming for me at least to those other sort of artistic medium sort of hobbies that i engage in uh i don't know if that's so similar for you or if you uh i don't know have other other things that separate say gaming from lego or other things you're into i had a similar experience as you just described with a fire emblem but like pikmin you experience that sense of loss when you lose a character you might have had for half the game or three quarters of the game and there's a phenomenon amongst Fire Emblem fans of resetting your game when you lose a character because the game has permadeath and oh you want to reset the game so you have a perfect run you don't lose anyone and even though there now is the option in Fire Emblem to turn off permadeath to play that if a character dies you the character returns to your team at the end of that chapter a lot of hardcore fans will still refuse to do that but they'll still reset the game because they want that perfect run. And I think one of the reasons they want that perfect run is not just because of any illusions to perfection and wanting to clear the game without making mistakes, but maybe that is a maybe that is one of the aspects. But I think a larger aspect is you, ha- you form that attachment with those characters, even though they might not be as well-written as a movie character or a book character, but because you're directing them, because you have agency over what they do. You form that attachment to them and you have your favourites and you don't want anything to happen to them. And when you lose them, it's it's quite tragic. Whereas, like you, I'm, I'm a big reader. I read a lot of fantasy. I read a lot of, or more so now, I read a lot of history books where I guess you don't really get that because, as a lot of people like to argue, history books are dusty old tomes. But <laughs> very much in fantasy books, if you pick up your sort of, 
G.R. Martin, Game of Thrones, Sword of Ice and Fire books, characters will die all the time and maybe you'll have a bit of an emotional reaction when one of your favourite characters dies. But after a while it becomes sort of, you're flicking pages, oh, so-and-so died, oh, that's quite interesting, I like how that was written, you move on. Whereas in some games where I guess those losses are sort of programmed to actually reverberate through how you play, you might, I guess let's say in Pikmin because you just regenerate another colour Pikmin, but in a game like Fire Emblem, if, if you lose a character that fulfilled a certain archetype, maybe it was a defensive character or one of your mages or a healer, you, you're impacted. That it, it can very much change how you play. So that interactivity, I think, is very important in the hobby it, because I think that's where it that's where it rises. That's where it can make up for deficiencies it might have in the animation style, in the storytelling, where people can rightly say, oh, this so-and-so medium does that much better. But I think they're missing the point. I, I think storytelling in gaming, for example, is important, but it's done in a different way. There's different tools a game designer have than, say, an artist or a poet or a painter. Yeah, yeah, they definitely do. And I think uh, even if we ignore the um, emotional aspects that we sort of just talked about, there's just things that can only be done in in an interactive world. Again, like, uh, I think Tetris is a great example. I mean, Tetris is a cultural icon, I would say, you know, in broader society, but that doesn't work in anything else other than being a video game, right? Because it's 100% that euphoria of, like, getting a, you know, a complete block of lines cleared or multiple um, lines cleared and the sort of the sound, the colours, uh, or no colours if you're playing on the Game Boy, I suppose. <laughs> um, but that sort of experience is very unique to to video games. And I think one that's, for those who aren't actively thinking about it or trying to dissect it as a as a art form or a... Um, you know, something more than just a time waster or a little bit of entertainment, you tend to forget or not realize that uh, that it, it has its it has such a it's uniquely positioned to really um, impact people in ways that nothing else really can. I, I find uh, it sort of reminds me. I don't know. Did you go to the PAX Oz where Warren Spector was like the keynote speaker? Does that? Is that something you ring any bells? I was there, but I I have never seen a keynote speaker at PAX, so I unfortunately didn't go oh. see Warren Spector, but I was there that year. Yeah, well, I mean, I I try to go to most of the, the keynotes. I think I've missed one. Um, and, I, like, his view, uh, rightly or wrongly, is very interesting. Like, you know, to him, something like uh, a visual novel or, like, you know, he, he calls out Uncharted or The Last of Us, to him, those aren't really what he would call like good uses of gaming um, as a, as a medium, because they're just so like linear in a sense compared to, he would say again, like a, a Mario or a Tetris um, or a Deus Ex, obviously, because that's a game he made, he made and is very proud of, or an Epic Mickey, which again, he's made um, where there is a bit more variables in sort of how things can turn out. He's, you know, all about, which, I don't know if I fully agree with him. Like, I still think there is a place for a Uncharted or a, a Last of Us, but I definitely think you know it'll be interesting to see. If, I think we've got like a Last of Us TV series coming out sometime soon, or not soon, in the next few years. It'll be really interesting to see how that medium treats that property and whether that 
almost ticks the the key boxes of why people play that game, which is uh, a lot to do with the story and the characters. Uh, I don't know. Maybe there would I'd be curious to hear from people who play it because the gameplay is the the draw card, but the story and the characters seem to be like the main you know pull or uh, reason to keep keep engaged in that world. So it's sort of interesting to think about like what games can do and what sort of boxes they tick in my mind that other other things just can't, I suppose, in, in, in quite the same way, which is probably why I continue drawing back, going back to them as my primary source of, of entertainment and interest uh, compared to, again, other, other hobbies which I engage in. Though I guess going back to something we both talked about earlier, have you found that that sort of element has waned a bit in some in some forums because for example for board games I, I find you alluded to it and I find it myself that in the past when I had friends over we'd generally pull out Smash Brothers, pull out Mario Kart, Mario Party, play through that. We might still do that, but now that's sort of directly competing with board games. Like a friend might bring over a board game, I have some myself, and we'll pull that out and play that instead or Maybe we'll play some board games and then play some video games. It very much has encroached on that space that was once sort of dominated by video games. And I I think speaks to the resurgence of board games and that board games can do a lot of things in a local multiplayer space that a video game can't. Yeah, I mean, I think both both are true. Both can do things that the other can't. I think what board games and their resurgence really highlight to me is the uh, probably the key issue with gaming, which is how you control them and how intimidating that is to someone that doesn't ever play games or rarely does because i find most the reasons we play board games is they feel more surmountable to to our broader friendship group because maybe it's just because all you're doing is even though the rules may be more complicated to learn for a board game than say mario kart the learning of just having to move pieces around or cards or whatever it might be is is less intimidating and so learning the rule set to the game itself isn't isn't too challenging or doesn't seem too insurmountable for them uh and i think what really highlights that is probably the one video game that i can consistently pull out and it'll be a success um equivalent to a board game is jackbox right like jackbox party pack games uh are so easy to control (laughs) just on your phone Uh, i've started hosting that uh, for my work colleagues every Friday and that's an age group ranging from me who's you know 20 27 26 whatever to a guy that's 65 <laughs> so a real you know broad range of people and while definitely the 65 year old struggles more than the rest of us to to get connected and um, answer questions or, or draw something in time he can still do it uh, and it's not too challenging which is probably I don't know how you solve for that, to be honest with you. It's sort of like one of those things that until we get to the point where we're plugging chips into our brain and we don't need to um, physically control something, I suppose, uh, with a with a gamepad or a mouse and keyboard or what have you, um, there is always going to be that, that hurdle that some people just won't be able to overcome, albeit probably less people because, again, most of us got exposed to games as kids uh, and I think have a more our minds are more adaptable to like new technologies and stuff. Whereas like my parents, you know, bloody hell, like the other day I had to explain to my wife, I thought probably a similar experience to that all parents had, but she was trying to play um, something on her her iPhone and she didn't know how to get to start. 
like a song or whatever. I'm like, just press the play button. I'm like, she's like, what's the play button? I'm like, well, it's the same symbol for everything. Like <laughs> all TV remotes have the same play <laughs> symbol. And it's just something yeah, the, that she- the triangle. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, it's the triangle. And she's like, oh, I've never noticed that. And it's like, you've used, I mean, every TV we've had since I've been a kid has used that same symbol. And it's just interesting that their minds just don't naturally absorb that kind of stuff. Whereas I think ours had sort of been trained to like, learn like oh yeah the save icon looks like this or like i close something with x or you know things like that are pretty um consistent uh and even another weird one i had the other day my um uh somebody i know was using a playstation controller for the first time and they gravitated to x to close circle to to accept which is what it is in japan but not in the west for whatever reason Uh, so it's interesting to see how those sort of ingrained universal truths really um work for some people and some cases work against you if uh if somebody else or a company goes outside the grain so it can be really confusing um and, and i think that's the key thing that is to what's stopping games being that sort of ubiquitous go-to activity uh when i say games i mean video games obviously uh compared to board games or, or something like just playing around a cricket or, you know, shooting hoops or something like that, like a sport, which is a bit more sort of approachable for, for a lot of people. And I think that's also goes to the flexibility of those mediums, like your board games, like if we're going to go play a round of b-ball in the, in the backyard you or backyard cricket, it's very much, you can make up your own rules in a way, especially in a board game. Yes, you can, it's very common to house rules sort of, um, certain mechanics you might not like how the rule book describes something or there might be some vagaries around certain mechanics so you'll just make it up yourself amongst your family amongst your friends and you can go from there and showing someone how to play a particular board game like like you alluded to yes it might be on paper more technical and more complex than a video game but you can go back you can sort of do it quite slowly in your own time you can help out someone the first round and basically tell them oh i'll play with you this is how you do it whereas video games are a lot more inflexible in that way like there might be some games that do innovative things to alleviate that but as a whole there's always going to be that barrier of entry since it's something that's hard coded into the game whereas that's not the case for a board game or any other sort of physical activities you might do in a group setting so has it been a period in your time that another hobby or another interest has surpass that of gaming or for you has gaming always been that one constant that you've always fallen back to uh yeah no it's to me it's probably been games like i mean to an extent there's probably like points in my life where like i've spent more time watching anime or something like that but not to the extent that games was completely eclipsed uh you know even these even this week i've probably watched more anime or tv shows than i have um played games but that that doesn't mean i haven't been playing games or or engaging with them whereas there might be vast swaths of months or or years where i don't even pick up a book or i don't again watch a tv show or that's less likely but it could happen um so i think gaming is constant it's not always the peak or interest at a time it's definitely always there in some fashion Uh, and that sort of goes back to what we said as well whereas even if i'm not playing games i'm probably still going to open up you know, IGN or, or a video game Reddit of some kind, um, or even just on our Discords that were on 
you can't avoid talking about games at, at some point during the day, or at least I can't. Um, so it's pretty consistent there. I'd just say, I'm assuming that's similar for you, or has there been a bit of a blackout period where you sort of fell off? I think my blackout period was probably that primary school, high school period where gaming very much became a thing I mainly did when people came over, as I mentioned before, or I wanted to play some World of Warcraft. And in that time period, I think I probably did fall back a bit more to Lego, as you've alluded to. I'm a big Lego nut, have have nearly as much Lego as I have video games, scary a thought as that is. Uh, I got involved into Warhammer quite a lot, tabletop miniatures, painted a lot of those, got involved in the scene a little bit when I was a when I was a teenager going to tournaments playing that. But I very much experienced a renaissance in around, I guess, 2011, 2012, where I, I guess with the 3DS, with the Wii U of all platforms, I very much found my passion again for video games as a thing that you did on your own as well as with um, friends, but primarily a thing you did on your own. That's something I hadn't really done for a long time up until that point. And I think I, I, I think that's the strength of the medium in a way that there's just so many different forms of how it can take, how you can embrace it. Like you can you can let it go for a while and come back to it. You can decide you're only going to play online games. You can decide you're only going to play futuristic racing games and find as many of those as you want. It's, it's very much a select... I guess it's like any sort of hobby. You can do that for books and the like, but I think games with that extra interactivity, there's something a bit more stimulating to it that other mediums lack, which makes it enticing. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, and it's interesting to see, as you said, some people full-on dedicate themselves to a certain genre or a certain um, series or whatever it may be and go down that rabbit hole or just sometimes a single game uh, is not uncommon versus us who are a bit more broad uh, in terms of what we do and don't play. Which, you know, not to circle back to where we started, but I wonder if that's also got a lot to do with our backlog problem where <laughs> um, where we want to we wanna, um, be part of the conversation as well. And that, that all, it all sort of starts to tie together when you really sort of think about it. Like, we play games in a social aspect, and even if that's a single-player game, you can do that socially by how talking to people, right? Like, I remember as a kid bringing up my mate, like, because Super Mario Sunshine would have come out around Christmas time, so over that summer holidays here in Australia, um, which is probably confusing for any American or Northern Hemisphere fans, but yes, Christmas is summer for us. And so it wasn't uncommon for us to call each other up if, if you know, he was at a holiday house or whatever and just be like, oh, how are you going with, with Mario? What are you up to? Like, which which world and that kind of stuff. I think that's even more true today with, with you know, again, discords or social media, Twitter, where you want to be part of the conversation. And so while you're like, oh, I've got this game I'm playing right now, everyone's talking about the new hotness or whatever it might be. And so you just find yourself being like, oh, I'll just pick it up because if I can I can get back to what I'm playing later and I can engage with um, these people now on, on whatever it is that they're um, enjoying. Little, you know, probably what our minds are not realizing is half the time that those are people that are particularly on social media that are, again, professional journalists and their entire lives allow them to, uh, 
to play a lot of new releases and finish them and often finish them before release. So so really we're, we're embarking on what is a bit of a fruitless effort that we, that we can't even compete with um, as much as we'd like to. It's sort of, yeah, I don't know, a bit of a little epiphany I've sort of just had over this conversation that sort of circles it all a bit together and sort of, you know, it's almost like this has been a good therapy session going into our weird psychology issues of, 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 of collecting and having a backlog. Well, exactly. And for me, I find one of the issues is, unlike those, I guess, professionals that probably have a different type of burnout because they have to play games and nauseam for their jobs, I find that I finish a game, quite happy that I finished it, oh, that was good, but I don't really feel like picking up another game and trying to play that to completion at that point. I might want to play something else that is a bit more relaxed, a bit more open-ended, because I find that, oh, sure, I finished this one JRPG that was 80 hours. Do I really want to start another one that's 60 hours? Is that is that what I want to do? Is that what I want to devote my spare time for the next three, four weeks to? Or do I want to be a bit more relaxed? Do I want to do something else? I think it's, it's that motivation that I find hard personally when it comes to backlogs. And I think that's when I sort of change my gaming habits and I'll play a different type of game or a different genre because I can't for personally I can't sustain playing the exact same type of games sort of for a for a long stretch period of time. Did you find with many of your like long term friends that you still got from say the primary school or high school or, or however long you've sort of stayed in touch with them, uh, even if it's just sort of tangentially at, at this age, like that many sort of moved away from gaming and if they did, how did that affect your either your time that you'd spend with them, like did it increase, decrease, um, or did it change just what you did in terms of like, did you just play less games because they weren't playing games and you were still hanging out with them? Like how did that, anything like that ever happen to you or have you ever <laughs> given it much thought? No, it has. And I think particularly happened to my best friend from primary school who I'm still very good friends with. I guess my gaming habits are very different to his. He'll play occasionally if we're over at someone's house and there's a game on or he comes over and we want to decide to play something. But gaming isn't quite... But gaming isn't that prevalent in his day-to-day life. And I think it just very much meant that we have other interests in common. We just... Well, we've known each other for so long that we enjoy doing other things together. It's doesn't necessarily have to be gaming if we get together we can talk about what's going on in our lives talk about other interests we share and I think I found that sort of it depends friend to friend so I have some friends in high school that are still very much into gaming and that's the main thing we'll talk about so I guess for me I I, in a way if you really dial down and think about it I have I have my gaming friends I have my non-gaming friends and I have my friends that sometimes play games so there's sort of you could categorize, I don't like doing it, but you can categorize people if you really sit down and think about it. And so I guess it doesn't really change your relationship. It just, well, it changes the nature. It doesn't change the nature of the relationship and it changes how it might be acted out when you get together. You just do different things. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I'd say it's probably semi-similar to me in, in some regards because um, I definitely have like a friend from prep and he still plays games. And so we talk about games a lot, which is great. 
I'm going to have another friend from a similar time a bit earlier. Uh, and again, for most of our childhood to our teens, we were pretty big gamers. And then he's completely dropped out, if that makes sense. Yeah. But it's also challenge, not challenging, but it's, it's interesting because his hobbies and mine just sort of don't align as much as they used to. Um, and while we're still, I'd say, good friends, it definitely changes when we do hang out what we do. Um, plus, it also sort of makes it harder, not harder, but just to like, like, you know, I'll, I'll message certain friends on Facebook or whatever, be like, oh, yeah, like, did you see this trailer or did you have you picked up whatever? Whereas I find I have less things like that to message him or, or other people in that bucket around. And I almost wonder, like, had I not had a consistent set of friends who were still playing games and sort of enabled me to to continue engaging in the hobby and have people to talk to it about, or if I'd not found, like, the internet and, and the ways to, that we discussed, you know, chatting with people online, would I have also deviated eventually away from games into, like, I don't know, whatever else humans do with their lives that are still <laughs> a bit of a mystery? <laughs> I think you're right, because for me, I think I probably would have fallen off if I hadn't, if I hadn't stumbled across internet forums and Discord chats and made new, I guess, and made friends that were interested in video games, like yourself, like people like Dave, Drew... Unicycles will those people off the top of my head. If I hadn't met those people and befriended them, I probably wouldn't be as much of a gamer as I am. Because I think whilst they might not necessarily directly influence my day to day gaming or my week to week gaming, it's very much it's very much the basis of that social element that we keep on going back to gaming that I think is quite integral to our experiences. That you want to be able to share gaming with someone you you don't necessarily want to do it in a vacuum on your own because I guess we're all social people. We, we we crave that interaction because we could very well just sit in our basement, sit in our rooms and play the same games over and over. But you need, you, you want to connect to people with them. And I think, and I guess with friends that might have gamed with you in the past but don't anymore, you either have to, you, ha- you have to either have other shared interests with them, other things you can talk about, or you're going to find it hard to, keep in touch with them if gaming was the only thing that bound you together with them which I think in my case was it was probably never gaming itself that was the reason why I was friends with those people there were other elements to the friendship and that's why we I can keep it up even though we might not game together now we are able to bond over other experiences yeah sometimes it's like maybe the catalyst for why you originally hung out and not necessarily exactly the necessary factor yeah because going back to my best friend, I think that was the case because I remember I first met him and his two brothers the first um, day of year two. I moved schools and we sort of, I bonded with the two, um, three of them over, we both played Nintendo 64, both knew Super Mario 64. And so we, we soon became friends. I soon went over to their house, they went over to mine and sort of that was the start of it. And that was, what, 16, 17 years ago now. So it goes to show that it might be the catalyst that, and I guess that's one of the driving forces and the influence of gaming, but it can evolve and for well, friendships evolve, gaming evolves, everything evolves. If we, if we want to get very philosophical and deep, which I, I don't think we do on this episode. No, not necessarily. But uh, you've actually reminded me of an experience. And I hope, um, I don't think you mind me talking about it, but I, when I, you know, 
we've mentioned both of us were in a video games club uh uni and i remember uh one of my good friends from there like at the sort of the start of it like she obviously it was into games because she joined a video games club but she would still call it hope so (laughs) yeah you would imagine there's at least some interest right but she definitely said like i'm not like a gamer in the same sense that like i am or or others um but i remember there was a period of her life and a lot of my friends lives where probably not too dissimilar to your wow days but they all got very hooked on uh guild wars 2 and i played a lot of that as well and that to me was like the perfect example of like where the people around you kind of you're playing the game to be social right like all those people that played hundreds of hours um you know like every week or every day it was at least you know five or six hours it felt like it was not because they really cared about guild wars but they cared about the people playing it um and i think by the end of it she stopped saying i'm not a gamer because she i just said like if i add up how many hours i played games and how many hours you've played games uh <laughs> yours is you win me congratulations yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you've you've taken the crown. Um, so it's interesting to see. Yeah, I, I, it's the people element again. It's so funny because the mainstream media would like to have you believe, or you know, I think you quoted um, the creator of Final Fantasy. I forget his name. Um, the president, no, the former president of Nintendo, Hiroshi Yamauchi. Oh yeah, yeah. How everyone sort of sits in their basements by themselves, but it's really not. Like maybe there are some people that are fully isolated and doing it but i just as particularly in this day and age which is a very connected world i think people uh if we if we had to boil everything down to a simple reason of why we still play games people really seems to be i think the primary driver um or at least that's what i think is if i summarize what we've talked about that's the conclusion i'm sort of taking away from it which which for our listeners, it's not prescripted. I, I generally don't think that I had an answer when I came into this, and that's starting to feel like the answer just through our, our chat here. I don't know if that's the same takeaway you're starting to have, or if it's it's different. No, I, I definitely agree, and as I as I keep on mentioning, I think one of the reasons why I do game and why I still game is that social element. Like like your Guild Wars Two experience, I picked up a League of Legends at the end of high school, start of uni, and it was solely because I had friends from high school that played League of Legends. I remember I finished one year 12 exam, had a gap, or had a week's gap between that one and the next one, and I just decided, oh, I'll jump on League of Legends and play for a bit because that's what I had been doing with my friends that year to sort of uh, sort of centre myself and get some focus. And uh, I, I didn't expect any of my other friends to be on because, well, it was quite a busy time of year exams. And... I remember one of my good friends, he was on playing League of Legends. He messages me and he's like, yeah, want to play some rounds together? And I'm like, sure, let's do it. And I ask <laughs> him, but don't you have an exam tomorrow? And he's like, yeah, but let's do it. Let, let, let's play. Like, <laughs> I'm having, I, I just want some fun. So it, I, I always just remember it's, it's those moments in gaming that really makes it for me. And it's always around people. And I think that's something we... It's it's something hard to separate from gaming that there's always those human interactions that really define and make it for us. Yeah, no, I agree. To sort of take it, not to step away because we get people are definitely a big driver. What do you reckon if you had to pinpoint? And maybe this is a hard question to answer, uh, and maybe there isn't an answer. But if there was one game you reckon was the turning point for you, that was like this is what's made me into 
this enthusiast, whether it's your first game or whether it's something else, do you reckon you could you could point it out or figure out what it would be? If I had to pick one out, it would have to be the game I first formed an obsession over, and I think that's Age of Empires 2 on PC and its sequel or its expansion, The Conquerors, because, well, I think I mentioned in the last episode that I have memories of watching my brother play and then I got on and started playing and that was sort of the first proper PC game I played that was an edutainment. And then I, about 2005, 2006, I discovered, well, there was an online community of uh, Age of Empires 2. It was on Microsoft MSN The Zone and they, and so I went on there, played some custom scenarios, played that with people and enjoyed that and that got shut down and then some people that I met through a specific custom scenario about Lord of the Rings, I, there were some people in the Age of Empires community that made this custom map based on Lord of the Rings that had all the characters that sort of quite different to Age of Empires. Instead of building armies, the, the units were already set out on the map and they all named, they had custom HP and attack and it sort of it was a very customised experience. And there was sort of a core group of people, about 30, 40 people that solely played that on MSN The Zone for Age of Empires, and they moved off to, it was called X-Fire in the day, it was this sort of gay, sort of social media, this early social media platform for gaming, I don't know if you ever experienced X-Fire, it was sort of, it was sort of like Steam messaging, yeah. but it, it was sort of like a, it was an early sort of Steam clone, but didn't host games, but similar to Steam in its um social media, in its um friend aspect, and so that went on for years, and then they moved to a few different platforms. Age of Empires 2 is still going on a, online on this custom website called Voobly, this custom gaming service, and there's similar people that were playing 15 years ago that still play, and I sometimes go back and play this custom scenario in Lord of the Rings with them in Age of Empires 2, and so Age of Empires 2 is this game I've played for nearly 20 years, nearly the majority of my life, so I think that really has to be the game I pinpoint as the turning point, the one that I guess turned me into a gamer. Is that it's one that I've never really stopped playing. I guess what what's the game for you, Zach? If you have one, yeah, I was thinking about this and I jumped around answers in my head, but I thought about it. It's definitely uh, a bit cliche, but it's it's Pokemon. Um, you know, obviously, I Red and Blue were some of my earliest games, and I, it had sort of when you think about it, everything going for it. It had the social element of it being a cultural phenomenon where you know you talk about not only the games but the tv show uh the cards um everything about it at school with friends uh then it had obviously um the aspect of i think through the years my engagement with the series has sort of pushed me in direction so as it sort of alluded on you know when we got to like generation three game boy advance ruby sapphire i that's when i started to have to turn online a little bit more to engage with people about pokemon or speculate about stuff and um get that sort of same you know i remember as a kid it was very much you'd go to like primary school and someone be like oh i heard about pick is coming to pokemon gold and silver <laughs> we're gonna get mew three um and then obviously people sort of grew out of that and didn't want to have those conversations at school so i turned to online to really have those conversations on on forums uh and i remember you know as a kid really digitally diligently following um sites like cerebi and stuff where 
because back then Pokemon would come out months ahead in Japan. Um, so you'd sort of get all these glimpses of, of Pokemon before they were, you know, and uh, announced for the West, I suppose, like Diamond and Pearl and that kind of thing. And so that sort of pushed me in that direction. And then sort of coming back to more modern sort of myself, like, you know, today, uh, again, I think a lot of friends came back into Pokemon um, around Heart Gold, Soul Silver in, in real life. So it sort of brought them that back into the fold where I can just talk to anyone about it. And almost became cool to like Pokemon again in, in some regards. Um, and so that was really great for engaging with people uh, in real life. Like I remember, it must have been last year, given we've been in lockdown most, <laughs> most of this year. Um, it would have been last... Either way, the last Pokemon tournament we had here in Melbourne, the uh, internationals, I couldn't go because it was a work day, um, which was sad. But I remember on the the way from work to the train station, I was on the tram, uh, and I saw somebody with a like a world's Pokemon world's bag. So I was like, ah, like you are one of my people. I just asked him, like, oh, so have you been to Pokemon Worlds? And just struck up a conversation there on the tram. So it's definitely been one of those things where there's enough people around that like it that it's. It's a good way of, oh, I find it a really easy way of just, again, it can be the catalyst of how you meet someone or, or just have a conversation. Uh, and it's got such a strong community, um, even though it's, you know, uh, maybe a little toxic if uh, if we look at some of the uh, Sword and Shield um, aspects, which we, we don't, won't get into because that's a whole uh, kettle of fish I don't want to, I don't want to touch. When we talk about Pokemon, which I'm sure we will in a future episode, we can Dive into the fantastic community surrounding that game, Zach. Yeah, that's uh, that's a. Uh, but um, even if you ignore that, like, there's still like a really healthy Pokemon Go. Um, again, yet another sort of part of that franchise that took off in, in recent years. Like, Pokemon Go is healthy. There's a competitive scene. There's just so many ways to engage in it, and I think really highlights all the like social aspects I like to tick off. Um. In, in in my gaming sort of life uh so yeah if i had to pick one uh it's probably not my favorite video game franchise believe it or not but it's definitely probably the most impactful on my life and what sort of kept me into that ecosystem it goes without saying that 2020 has been quite the year so far we're we're still only seven months in but there has not been a year like this that any of us have experienced i think and i so I think it would be quite interesting to talk about gaming in this year and whether our gaming habits have changed over the course of the years due to these different times. Uh, I know that compared to last year, I was doing a lot of different things with my spare time. Well, 12 months ago, I was still living in Scotland, so I was still seeing friends on a day-to-day basis, going out most nights, hanging out with people, whereas you can't do that at the moment. Casually just learning how to cook haggis and, you know, wearing kilts and that kind of stuff, as I imagine you do in Scotland. Well, exactly. <laughs> Playing the bagpipes every night over <laughs> yeah. over a couple of six packs. Yeah, that's what we all did in a... That's all, that, That's what we all did on the crags and on Arthur's seat. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was good times. But yeah, I guess now we, we don't have that at the moment. It's, well, Victoria, well, Mel, you're, you're in Metro Melbourne at the moment. That's locked down. Rural Victoria, well, it's open, but it's rural Victoria. There's not that much going on anyway. Uh, (laughs) Not that that's a criticism. I love it out here. But I guess I found myself playing a lot more games than I was last year. I've 
I've finished a number of games this year that, well, more than I finished over the course of last year, and I find myself playing games when I have spare time more than anything else. Like, how has it impacted your gaming habits? Yeah, I think the main way it's impacted is just the increased level of online gaming that I have done. Um, I've tended to be, I've tended to get enough social interaction out of work and other like in-person activities in the past that I didn't feel the need to play online games. Like I was happy being like, this is my alone time. I'm going to play again, like a single player game. Whereas this year, because there is no, well, there's less opportunity to see people in person. The amount of online games that I'm playing is has skyrocketed. Um, you know, we picked up Terraria again with a bunch of friends the other day. Obviously, Animal Crossing has been massive and has really been a great way to engage with a lot of people that you normally wouldn't play some of the other games I, I would play online. Um, the other night, um, I think we missed each other by a week, but like I joined the, the Smash Brothers sort of like Friday night friendlies that our, one of our discords does, which I don't normally do. <laughs> um, but I was like, I haven't played Smash Brothers since so long because, again, my friends aren't coming over to play it. So I'm like, well, this will be a great way to to scratch that itch. So that's probably the main thing that's changed. It's not necessarily that I'm playing more single-player stuff because that's probably similar to what I've always been doing. But now when I would go to a mate's place or they'd come here, I've now had to substitute that with with online stuff, which is which is which has honestly been good. I mean, again, I think we've lucked out that this is the hobby we have in this uh, in this world, I suppose, because a lot of people I talk to who you know gym is their hobby, sports are their hobby. Um, not to like say that's a bad thing; those are much those are quite healthy hobbies, but <laughs> they're, they're hobbies that that in this current lockdown don't work. Um, or not to the same extent. Um, like I saw so many of my, my gym friends uh, sort of like post pretty pretty broken up um, sort of Instagram or, or Facebook posts yesterday being like, oh, got to say goodbye to these guys again, just like a photo of the weights and being like really emotional about it, which um, to me it seems a little silly, but at the same time I can sort of say, well, you know, if that's if you care about that as much as I care about my my interests, I can see why you're pretty bummed out that you can't go to where you love to go for at least six weeks here in in, in Melbourne, um, maybe longer. We'll see. So, yeah, I think it's we're lucky that we've got a hobby that allows us to sort of continue engaging with it, engaging with our friends that are, as well in this in this weird sort of set of circumstances that none of us could have predicted. For me, it's had quite the change on the type of games I've played, actually, because before this whole lockdown and what's going on this year with um, COVID, Animal Crossing was never really on my horizon. I played that on the <laughs> DS once, and, uh, well, I think my sister got it on the DS back in the day, and we quickly returned it within EB Games Week's um, return policy because we weren't really feeling it. I think at the time, she was a huge Sims fan, so... The guy at EB Games was like, oh no, you'd really enjoy Animal Crossing, but it didn't really click with either of us. So it was always that series that I I thought, oh, I understand why it's so popular, but it's just not really for me. I haven't played Harvest Moon in that period of time on the 3DS, A New Beginning, and I enjoyed that. But I rationalised that with, oh, well, Harvest Moon, you're actually, you're farming, you're, you're actually doing something productive. It's not like Animal Crossing where... I don't see the appeal. I, I just don't understand why anyone would enjoy it. You don't 
do anything. Like, what's the point of this game? But come come March when Animal Crossing came out, lockdown was starting, uh, it came out and I thought, oh, well, I have a lot of spare time now. I'm, I'm going to give this a try. So I got it a couple of days after launch, was lucky enough to get a copy before they all sold out and I just sat down, played it and I just, I finally understood why it had that appeal and why it was so popular. And I think, not to be insensitive, but I think one of the reasons why it's been so successful this year is because of the situation we've all found ourselves in, that people have just wanted that game that you can tune off on, you you don't have to think about anything, you don't really have any goals, you don't have any pressure, you just, you're just really mucking around on an island for how long or as how little as you want. You can pick up fossils, you can shake some trees, you can dig some holes, you can, you can do what you want and there's no pressure in it and it, 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 um, it contrasts quite starkly with, with what's going on in the world. And I think that shows what, and I guess that, that really goes back to our previous conversation that we've had for the last hour over the power of gaming, the power of interactivity, that there is that escapism level. It's not necessarily my life's shit. I want to, I want to sort of live it through these digital characters, but I think it's more so, uh, I just want to take a break for a bit. I don't, I don't want to think about what's going on in the world, in my life. I just want to have, have something that I can tune off and really um, have some downtime with. Yeah, and I think also from the social aspect as well, sometimes you just need something underlying your conversation. Like you just want to talk to someone or just have that sort of you know verbal sort of interaction, even if it's via Zoom or Skype or whatever. I think having a game underlying that is often good. I mean, it's the same reason why when we, we hang out with friends, we're often doing something else anyway, right? We rarely just meet up and just talk, right? It's usually like you're going out for dinner or you're um, going to go see a movie and then talk about that. Uh, or again, you're, you're going bowling or whatever it might be that you do. But it's having that activity, even if the activity can be mundane at times, like you get Animal Crossing often can be, just having that, to sort of at least fall back on when you're having a chat uh, and be like, okay, you know, run out of conversation topics, but let's talk about this fish I just got. Like, you know, um, that's pretty pretty handy. Uh, at least I, I think so, because it's almost like the game's a background noise to what is just really catching up with people, uh, which is good. Well, I think it's good at least. Well, exactly. And well, with Animal Crossing, you had the whole phenomenon of, well, you go to other people's islands, that became quite big when people you would have never imagined gaming bought a Switch and bought Animal Crossing and jumped on. I know I had a number of friends that never knew that were interested in gaming, probably hadn't owned a game, gaming console in their life, or if they had, hadn't for many years, and got a Switch, got Animal Crossing, got really obsessed with it. And I really and I really think that goes to show what the diff, what different forms, what different types of gaming, the... the, pe- the just the power it has. But I think one thing also to think about, and it'll be fascinating to see how it goes forward, um, I don't think either of us can really predict it, but I think gaming is going to take on a, a much bigger role in society. I mean, we could always point to the uh, dystopian, well, I don't know if dystopian is the right word, but like the sort of futuristic um, sort of movies. That's Re- sort of ready Player towards. One. That's exactly what I was thinking of, um, which is getting a sequel, a sequel book, I think, this year. Uh, is, is that called Ready Player Two? It is, yeah. 
Oh no, like, not even not even a joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, like you know that you know the Matrix to an extent uh, as well. Uh, like these virtual worlds are definitely going to become more and more prevalent. Like even today, uh, at the time of recording, we've just had a a digital gaming conference take the form of a video game to wander around and explore, um, which sort of leaning into, I don't think we'll get there soon, but I think eventually as VR continues to evolve, that's going to be a more prominent part of our life. Like, for example, like, you know, again, here in, in, in Melbourne, kids are going back to remote learning, uh, which which is functioning fine, I guess, via, you know, Zoom calls and that kind of stuff. But you could also see it working a lot better if there was a really immersive VR experience that was fully um, readily available for anyone, that that would really reshape how society functions. And then it's almost less of a game, quote-unquote, and more using technology that's stemming from games uh, and virtual worlds to sort of push forward society or hopefully not regress as, again, some... Um, books slash movies may suggest uh it will which which is always a possibility i guess but um no i very much agree with you because I, i'm sure you remember from a couple of e3s ago i think four or five years ago microsoft's hololens remember that yeah which which still isn't available <laughs> well not in a gaming sense and at the time i remember thinking well i don't really see the gaming applications of this but it's really cool technology and uh that's the route it's gone through because I'm not sure if you saw it, but about I think about last year or two years ago, there was a lot of controversy over Microsoft's HoloLens because Microsoft entered a contract with the US military to use HoloLens for, I think, missile guidance systems and <laughs> wow, that sort of stuff. So HoloLens has been militarized. It's now uh, it's now used in the US military. So I guess that really shows that a lot of this technology that's stemming from gaming, like VR, like augmented reality it's whether it's it, it uh, it's got to be used for other things and things that aren't for entertainment sake and i think some might say that's quite wor- worrying but very interesting in itself that gaming is very much the driver for a lot of these emergent technologies yeah i mean a lot of people point to it as to what's driving um R&D and a lot of like cpu and um gpu kind of improvements and that kind of stuff which is obviously a very practical sort of element like in that you know you may get a better gpu or cpu to play better games but then by happenstance it also means you can run more complicated excel spreadsheets or whatever it might be that you do for work um so yeah i think it'll be fascinating to see how that all plays out and and to see whether we still call it gaming even then or whether it becomes this broader term for Again, just these virtual experiences, I suppose, that we, yeah, have as part of just, just day-to-day life. I mean, yeah, like, AR is the one that's sort of, like, teetering on being practical versus not practical. I mean, we've seen Google, I think it was called Google Glass, that's right, that uh, that came and went. Um, so I definitely think we're a bit, a bit too early, like, we're not quite there, um, but it'll be interesting to see 10, 15 years where where these things start to become more viable and have real practical functions. Exactly, and we'll probably talk about this on another episode, hopefully, but in academia at the moment, there's an emerging field called historic gaming studies, and 
it's very much focused on how games are used in a cultural sense and the impact gaming has had on culture and also I guess especially in the education film how games are used to gamify learning and gamify studying and you can recreate historical periods through gaming and very much increase interaction from students and have interactivity in learning and I think that's really fascinating stuff and it's if done correctly and in a proper way I think it's going to be a real game changer and really change how different fields that we've never imagined would be impacted by gaming can change for the better because going back 10-20 years people in education would think oh gaming's bad it's rotting children's minds it's it's a bad thing and now we've shifted to well it can be used for I guess quote-unquote good yeah, I mean, we're already seeing really modern examples of, I mean, what you're talking about, where, like, I think the last two Assassin's Creed games have had those, like, uh, I want to call them history modes, but they might be called something else, where they just, it's literally just explore, you know, ancient Egypt or ancient Greece and sort of get a sense of what it's like without the need for combat or story, which I don't know if schools have used it, but it's still an interesting concept. Um, and as you said, there are interesting ways of almost capturing, like, Particularly these days, like, uh, well, sorry, let's take a step back. If we look at, like, pre, you know, 9-11 renditions of New York in games, like, obviously, that shows a, a New York which had, you know, the Twin Towers and the World Trade Center. And that's kind of, those games were a bit more primitive, so it's a bit more polygonal and stuff. But you could see how, like, say, I don't know, GTA 5 captures a, a type of LA that, that maybe in 20 years we'll be using GTA 5 as a reference for what LA used to look like because um, it may more for change or, you know, various events in the world may cause it to not look anything like it does today. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, when we look back at the stuff from today uh, that tries to recreate our real world, you know, with some artistic license to see how they compare to the, to the modern equivalents probably just marvel at the amount of nature that we have today compared to what we do in the future is is, is, is maybe the case but um yeah it's going to be interesting i agree zach this is all very interesting but i think we're quickly encroaching a turf that we'll cover in future episodes so i think it's about time that we wrap it up and uh call this episode a day so zach where can people find us uh if they are very interested in our podcast want to give us some advice want to say that this is the best thing ever, want to say that this is the worst thing ever. I think we've we've cleaned up our social media tags and uh, it should all be uniform now. So where can people find us? Well, yeah, we had a few hiccups, so apologies for any confusing message in the last two episodes. But um, if you're on Twitter, you can find us at BlowCartPod. Uh, I think that's right. It is. Yep, beautiful. Sorry, again, to show you that we've, we've had a few hiccups. And you can follow us there. Uh, obviously, if you're using a podcasting app to listen to this, uh, if you hit that subscribe button, you'll you'll stay in tune uh, with any new episodes that come out. If you want to follow us on Facebook, it's just Blowing Cartridges Podcast. You can just give that a like. Um, and if you want to email us, then you can definitely do so at... I'm pulling it up. Yes, we'll get better at this, I promise. Blowingcartridge at gmail.com. <laughs> We got there in the end. Yeah, and if you wanted to follow us individually for our own uh, personal thoughts or reach out to us, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Egerino, so at E-G-G-E-R-I-N-O. 
and you can follow me at Tamazoid. And before we wrap it up, I just want to thank everyone who has given us some feedback for our pilot episode, given us some feedback for episode one. Special thanks goes to Drew from uh, House of Mario, who has been fantastic with uh, helping us spread the word of our podcast and giving us some advice on what equipment to use and set up. And he's really been a lot of help and I'm really grateful. So if you haven't had the chance, check out the House of Mario, one of Australia's top Nintendo podcasts and strangely enough, the top Nintendo podcast from Denmark. So the, the charts show it. So it, we can't argue it. They have the top Nintendo podcast in Denmark and really you should check it out. So with that, thanks for listening to this episode and uh, hope you enjoyed it. And please go on iTunes, go on Apple Podcasts, go on any sort of service you use to listen to this podcast. Give us five stars, give us a review, tell us what you like, tell us what you don't like, and really help us keep the momentum going as we try to grow this podcast. Thank you very much, and this is Brendan signing out. Bye!